I'm joined this afternoon by Scott McCartney, who is the aviation expert at the Wall Street Journey to talk all things aviation. Um, Scott, hi. Good afternoon. Good morning to you. Good to be with you, John. Uh, and thank you for joining us. Um, this is a turnaround interview for me, a seminal moment where rather than having to answer the questions, I get to pose the questions. So uh, really looking forward to this. Um, but Scott, I'm intrigued. It, it sounds to me the greatest job on earth, an aviation journalist for the Wall Street. How how did you get there? You must have you must have killed people and fought to get to that position. Yeah, very much, very much. Um, uh, when when I got hired, I, I got hired to develop um, a beat in uh, rich families, a private uh, um, private equity, uh, wealthy families of, of Texas in particular. Um, and and but I told editors that what I really wanted to do was aviation. Um, and at the time, uh, I was in Dallas. Our aviation beat was in Houston, um, sort of a legacy of uh, Frank Lorenzo and uh, Texas Air Continental had been the big story. Um, and it really wasn't anymore. Uh, and uh, American and Southwest were, were uh, becoming much bigger players. Um, and so anyway, over time, uh, we decided to move the beat to Dallas uh, and uh and there I was, um, ready to go. And so I've been been doing it now for, um, gosh, twenty five years. Wow! And of course, at that time, Dallas was was the the epicenter of aviation in North America, wasn't it? In many respects, you had American and um, obviously Southwest there as well. So you right place, right moment, I suppose. Yeah, it, it really was, and it was a fascinating time to come into the into the business. I mean, I. I had the the blessing of really learning the business from Herb Kelleher, from Bob Crandall, from uh, Bob Baker, who ran operations at American, from uh, Gordon Bethune at, at Continental in Houston. Um, uh, just to, it, they, they were uh, incredibly smart. They are incredibly smart. Um, uh, just you know, legends of the business, but also very generous people who took the time to uh, really. Uh, make sure that I understood the business, um, um, willing to let me, you know, go inside their companies uh, to, to really figure out how airlines work and explain that to people. And they, they saw the value of, in that and it turned into a fantastic education for me. I'm sure. So, it, I mean, is it, a sim is it a simple business or is it amazingly complex from someone, you know, looking outside into it and you having had that sort of privilege exposure did it strike you as actually this is really simple and me people make it complicated <laughs> you know uh i i think the business itself is really complicated there are so many moving parts uh there, there is so much uncertainty um it, you know it, it, think about it sometimes you do everything uh outdoors and what would the quality of an automobile be if uh, general motors had to make cars outdoors uh <laughs> It, um, it, it, you know, you're subject to, to Mother Nature, you're subject to the whims of the economy. Every, everything that happens in the world somehow affects aviation one way or the other. We certainly see that with, with pandemic. Um, but on the other hand, airline leadership, I think, is, is uh, actually quite simple. Um, I, I think the, the job of the airline CEO, although it, uh, certainly you can dive into the numbers and the 
legal aspects and the political aspects and all, all that. But at the end of the day, the, the airline CEO is the football coach. It's a very labor intensive business. And, and the people who are successful at it quite simply uh, motivate people uh, and do a very good job of motivating people. And, and the CEOs who struggle with that, um, it seems to me over time, um, they have all failed. Um, so in that, in that sense, I think running an airline can be a very simple thing. And the, the people you mentioned earlier were certainly charismatic, charismatic, inspirational leaders. And, you know, you'd you'd follow them off a cliff in some cases, wouldn't you? It was uh, it was a grand time for the airline industry. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And I think they they understood, um, you know, Herb and Gordon, uh, especially uh, really understood that uh, if, if they could get their people motivated and working hard, uh, the airline ran better, the customers were happier, uh, you, you could charge higher fares, you could, you could do lots of things. Um, but uh, if the employees weren't uh, willing to go the, the extra mile and, uh, and, and really hustle to get the job done, uh, then the airline wasn't going to run well. Um, uh, people weren't going to be happy. It was just a sort of a, a losing experience. So 25 years ago, you're sitting in Rob Crandall's um, office and, you know, it was probably quite difficult to see him through the smog that was uh, being created at that moment in time. Um, but um, and you, you fast forward to the end of 2019 would you have ever expected the industry to got to have gotten so large and so complicated or you know is it is it surprised you in that respect um you know uh i would have to say uh uh not really in terms of size in terms of um the the uh, how people travel um, in terms of how ubiquitous travel is, um, I, I think that, you know, the demand was always there. Uh, the industry has, o- over that 25 years, the industry has, has really moved in many ways. Um, uh, you know, we saw the beginning and development of code sharing, the beginning and development of the, the big major um, uh, alliances, uh, and, and ultimately of um, uh, alliances with antitrust immunity. Um, it, all of that made it easier for people to travel around the world. Um, uh, we have seen, and, and not quite sure you saw this coming, but but younger generations, I certainly saw it in my own children, uh, younger generations that that wanted to travel um, extensively uh, and had no no qualms about uh, no no inhibitions about going to Vietnam for spring break or or wherever it might be, uh, and uh, so. Uh, you know what? What we saw 25 years ago and and, and before was the advent of uh, low-cost transportation, air transportation, um, and the the idea that that would spread worldwide, that that would uh, make it easier for people to travel. I think uh, you know all the signs were there. All the signs were there, really, with the advent of the 747 in the late 60s, and and uh, it, which you know sort of made it possible for. Um, middle-class people to travel and and that trend just continued absolutely exponentially all around the world and i mean what you know one of the things i i find quite ironic is that you know you're a principal journalist for one of the world's most revered financial publications and yet probably until what 
eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, this was an industry that just enjoyed losing money, didn't it? And <laughs> filing filing for Chapter 11s. It was, although it was, you know, it was glamorous, It for some reason it never really seemed to cut it for a long time, did it? No, that's, that's true. Um, it's... It, uh... <laughs> I used to joke that if, if the industry ever figured out how to run their business, I'd be out of a job. Um, but I didn't think that was going to happen in my lifetime. Um, it's certainly gotten better at it, um, but uh, the challenges have gotten bigger in some ways. Um, but you, you're right. The industry never made money. I, actually, from an investor standpoint, uh, there, there was no lack of interest. Um, the, the volatility of the, of the industry um, made it uh, uh, really important to investors. Uh, uh, they weren't going to be long-term holders, uh, but the ups and downs of the airline industry, people like, made a lot of money off of that. Mm. And, uh, and they certainly cared uh, deeply and, and still do today, uh, care deeply about our coverage. Yeah. Um, if we, if, I mean, if you look at the U.S. market, it certainly has benefited from that period of consolidation when, you know, the big... The big six became three, really, didn't they? And and secured that critical mass. That from from you know looking from London into the U.S. market, that that was a, the moment when things really did change. Yeah, I think so. Um, I I'm always struck by the similarities. Uh, so the, between the, the the European market and the U.S. market, um, the U.S. market, uh, as you said, three big players. Uh, one big, uh, um, uh, couple big um, uh, low-cost carriers, lower-cost carriers. Um, you know, Southwest, uh, we, uh, we still call a low-cost carrier. Um, uh, you know, we, could, we can debate that point, but certainly a, a low-fare carrier. Uh, so you, you have uh, the three big guys, then you have Southwest, JetBlue, Spirit, um, uh, it, and all. In, in Europe, you have three big, uh, international network uh, carriers and uh, and and two uh, major low cost carriers and a collection of others and it, it really sort of uh, very similar um, and I think that you know that provides uh, pretty good competition. Um, some people in the U.S. still bemoan the uh, the consolidation re- reduced competition. Um, it did in some markets. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but it enabled the big network carriers to actually become profitable, which ultimately is a good thing for travelers. Uh, they need to get a return on their investment. Uh, they need to be able to invest in uh, new airplanes, in uh, refurbishing terminals, and, uh, uh, you know, all, all the things that airlines spend money on to provide better service. Um, so that part of it has helped. I think consolidation has has really sort of uh, opened up more worldwide travel possibilities, and you know we still see, uh, we still enjoy very low fares. Um, uh, even before the, the current crisis, uh, you know fares had gone up some, but it, it, relatively speaking, air travel was still a bargain, and so there was enough competition in the marketplace uh, between amongst the, the three big carriers themselves, but also with the discipline of, of low cost carriers. Uh, that, uh, you know, if you wanted to fly cheap, uh, you certainly could. And I think, I think it's, it's ironic, you know, the regulator occasionally dips in and has a, has a look around competitive practices and all of these sort of things. And it never, never really finds any evidence that would suggest that, you know, fares 
are any higher in today's environment or that airlines are in some way or other, you know, charging more than than a competitive market normally would. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's fascinating that, you know, on either side of the Atlantic, we have a very similar sort of structure across our airline um, airlines and, and their segments. And it looks like it's going that going to go that way in Asia as well, doesn't it? I mean, you've got the big three yeah, Chinese yeah. carriers and you've got the big three Southeast Asian carriers. It's a, it's a model that works. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. It's not, you know, it's not necessarily by design, but I think it, it, uh, it it's, it's how uh, markets work out. Um, uh, you know, three big players uh, provides uh, a lot of discipline and, and a lot of opportunity, but also gives, gives those players the, the size and the, uh, the 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 cost efficiencies to uh, to really be competitive and offer a, a, a good product, um, and then there's room for others underneath that, uh, and so it it really does um, I think provide some stability uh, both for the for the airline industry uh, but also for the traveler. Mm-hmm. And I, I where we do differ though is in Europe. Some of our legacy long-haul carriers um, dallied with the A380. Um, uh, Lufthansa, British Airways, Air France, and of course Emirates' whole fleet is predicated on the A380. But it never, it never attracted a US airline, did it? It, it, it. They just, why were they not interested in it when everyone else at that time saw it as a great solution? Um, I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, we, we we don't have the, uh, the the slot restrictions, the hub airport uh, restrictions that uh, that exist in in Europe. Um, uh, we we have it uh, on a very limited basis, uh, but there are no slot restrictions at uh, Los Angeles International um, or you know I, I mean New York Kennedy is is about the only one. Anybody yeah. can fly to Boston. Anybody can fly to Washington. Anybody can fly to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there wasn't wasn't sort of that um, limited uh, availability of landing slots at uh, the major hub airports. Um, and then I, I think, too, the, the U.S. market has always been uh, it, it, carriers learn the lesson early. Um, this Bob Crandall used to say uh, you could you could never have an airplane that's that's too small. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, you know, if the airplane, if there is a limited number of seats, then you get some pricing power. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's the, uh, you know, it's okay um, to have demand exceed capacity. Um, uh, you know, the nature of the business is if you're, if you're planning ahead, if you're taking a vacation, uh, you know, they're going to need to fill seats with cheap fares, but uh, there's also going to be a premium for, for the last minute fare. And, uh, and if you have uh, too many seats in a market, um, that, that's just not going to work. Uh, and I think that that was the case um, with the A380, certainly for, for U.S. airlines. Now, it, it may be that, uh, you know, at the time that people were ordering the A380 and all, the U.S. industry was a lot more competitive. Uh, and so, you, you know, Northwest and Delta, um, neither of them probably had the uh, the the traffic to fill an A380. Maybe together they did, uh, and, and that would have been different. But 
I think by that time, there were attractive alternatives with two engines instead of four engines. Um, and, and then the fear that, you know, you can fill that airplane on, on Friday night, on, you know, Sunday night or whatever, but you're not going to fill it on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and if you do, you're going to do it with a lot of low fares that really upset the pricing structure. Absolutely. And of course, you know, um, if you're, if you're using that aircraft type and it's essentially international to international connectivity, then then ultimately price becomes the only decision-making factor for many people. Um, and there's yeah. always someone who's got a cheaper cheaper price in the market or is willing to you know offer a sharper fare for a particular flow of traffic. So it, it can be quite um, quite difficult to fill it, even in the best of times. Yeah. Yeah, no, and obviously we see that in the worst in the worst of times now, where um, you know the A three eighty and the seven four seven, they're they're done at, at least it, it seems um, at at passenger airlines because there's just not going to be the demand for a considerable length of time where you can fill those airplanes again. So, uh, Scott, at the end of two thousand and nineteen, reflecting on you know the last or two thousand and nineteen, which had been a very good year for the industry. And just thinking about 2020, um, you probably would have been full of optimism for, you know, really positive articles, talk about growth, fleet plans, expansion, investment, all of those sort of things. Um, the industry was it was in rude health at that that moment, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, and the, you know, this had been going on for a while. Um, and, uh, I, you know, my my focus is very much uh, for the traveler. I, I write for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the consumer was enjoying a, a lot of benefits. Um, and uh, uh, people were enjoying good service, a uh, business class service. Um, uh, certainly, you know, uh, had, had reached um, uh, quite proficient levels of excellence. Uh, at a lot of airlines. Um, I was writing a lot about premium economy, um, which is becoming a, a, just a more and more attractive um, alternative for, for a lot of travelers. Uh, but the just, yeah. <laughs> and the problem, I mean, we look back and, uh, you know, problems seem trivial in hindsight, uh, but, you know, people complaining about, you um, uh, the occasional lost bag, the you know uh, whether you get hit with baggage fees, uh, all, all those kinds of things, yeah. um, and and now at a time when you know it, it's really uh, tens of you know billions of dollars of, of refunds uh, out there that are that are at stake. Every, everything else seems um, um, quite uh, insignificant. It does, and I get. I, I mean, sadly, we're we're veterans of the this industry, but I mean. I don't think anyone could have rationally forecast or um, highlighted a risk of a global pandemic and its and how savagely it hit the aviation industry. But it was um, you could sort of see it like a tsunami going around the globe, couldn't you? It was a it was a fascinating yeah. learning experience. No, it was. It, you know, it's it, it'll be interesting to see how how history treats it, if if you will. Um, you know, we had some warning shots, um, uh, H1N1, uh, you know, even Ebola, but different different um, outbreaks that, that really had a severe impact on aviation. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, what we knew from that was that the aviation got hit um, early and, and got hit hard. Uh, and so from that perspective, I mean, you know, there's great debate in the U.S. Um, uh, could you have foreseen the pandemic or not? And, the, uh, you know, after Ebola, the folks in the White House sat down and wrote a plan. And, and Bill Gates says, you know, he, he was saying his biggest fear was a, was a global pandemic. And people, there, there were warnings. Um, but then again, uh, you know, I don't think anybody really sort of uh, envision seriously envision what has happened and the, the extent that it's ha happened. Um, uh, you know, a lot of us in, in the business, I think, thought uh, certainly in the U.S., 9-11 was about as bad as it could ever get. Yeah. And this is, you know, 10, 20 times worse than 9-11 than in terms of a traffic reduction. And if you sort of visualize a globe, I mean, the Americas and specifically North America had that sort of double, double whammy hit of the, out, the outbound Chinese market heading towards the west coast of the U.S. and indeed even into some east coast destinations. And mm -hmm. also, of course, that flow that was coming across from Europe. So you, you sort of got it from both sides, didn't you, in a relatively short period of time. Um, but I, right. I, I'd be interested, I, how do, did the airlines do all that they could as early as they could? Um, you know, that's a really interesting question. Um, uh, I, 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 t I tend to think they did in the, in the sense that um, they seem to uh, ground airplanes very quickly. Um, uh, a, a lot of capacity came out uh, quickly. Uh, you know, it is one of the unique things about the, uh, the airline business. When we talked before about how complex it is, uh, you know, one of the advantages is the assets are are all movable. Um, so so it, it's more difficult to close a hotel. You can't pick up a you can't pick up a hotel and move it to another city or park it in the desert. Um, but uh, you can with it with an airplane. Um, so there, there was that. I think the airlines both, um, uh, you know, in in the U.S., um, uh, certainly in Europe and, and in Asia, some, too. Uh, they have been very effective at getting uh, government assistance and financing that they, they needed. And, you know, this was all done uh, fairly quickly yeah. um, in terms of uh, additional additional loans, uh, mortgaging frequent flyer programs, however it might be. Uh, there was the, the very quick realization that uh, they needed to raise cash uh, and, uh, and ride out the storm. Um, so we, we've seen a uh, failure of some small airlines. Uh, we've seen some restructuring uh, bankruptcies underway, but um, not at the at the big, huge carriers. Um, governments have stepped up. Uh, and I think airlines have um, uh, really been uh, pretty proactive about uh, hunkering down and, and riding up the storm. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in the United States, you, um, you rapidly... Uh, passed the CARES Act um, that I think runs until the end of September, which yeah, that, that was yeah. billions of dollars of support for the travel for the travel and aviation sector, wasn't it? Right, more than fifty billion, which was uh, you know a huge shot in the arm, um, not just for airlines but the, the employees that are, that are kept on the payroll. And it, it, as you say, the, the obligation to keep employees on the payroll um, expires at September thirty. 
Uh, we may see, you know, tens of thousands of, of layoffs in, in the U.S. Uh, airline sector uh, come October 1st. Um, uh, but then again, maybe not. Uh, there's, there's a lot of lobbying going on for additional uh, government assistance. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, 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 look, it, it, it makes sense in some ways. This is not just about uh, protecting airlines. It's about protecting the economy. Absolutely. Uh, you, you need air service. Uh, to have a, a global economy, to have a, a vibrant uh, domestic economy. Um, it is a, it's not just a major employer, but it's a, it's a major function for so many businesses um, that need to move uh, cargo, that need to move people, that need to uh, be able to go see clients or, or do deals or whatever it might be. And if you don't have air service, um, you, you really have a setback in the economy. And the problem is if airlines lay off a bunch of uh, skilled people, it takes months to get them back. Absolutely. Uh, if you, if you yeah. can get them back. Yeah, you've and got to so, retrain them. Yeah, got to be recertified. All of those tasks, it goes on forever, doesn't it? But um, one, of the things, one of the things from um, the data we've been seeing is, you know, this expectation when this all start when COVID-19 started um, around April, early May, the expectation was, you know, we need this to help us get through to the end of September and by August, things will begin to pick up. And clearly they haven't. Uh, TSA numbers um, are still languishing in the sort of 28, 29% of last year's volumes. Um, and capacity is... Uh, on a global basis, below 60 million. Um, and, you know, I think we've we've already come out in OAG and said we may have had the best month or the best week of the pandemic and the new normal 2020. Is there, mm -hmm. is there a broad realisation in the US market that, you know, this could be a this could be a really tough winter for everyone? Um, I think there is for winter. The, the interesting variation uh, is uh, what happens next year, because um, there is there are differing views on that. Um, but but yes, I, I think um, uh, you know June. There there was optimism in June um, uh, that that things were starting to pick up, um, and then we saw. Um, uh, outbreaks increase in, in a lot of states that were trying to open up early um, in the U.S. And so uh, July numbers uh, dipped uh, and, and, you know, August came back some because um, there's so much pent up uh, demand. Uh, but I think that goes away as schools reopen. And we've already started to, to see that. Um, uh, if you have to be home with your kids, you're not going to be traveling and, and period. And, and so, uh, there is the traditional um, end of summer drop off, um, and and typically what the industry relies on then is is business travel. But there is no business travel. Period. Zero. You know, very little, um, except for hospital workers and and folks like that. Uh, very little business travel going on, um, and so I think we're going to see a big drop off in the fall. Um, you may see some weeks of the holiday season be okay. That may depend on, you know, can you get to a Caribbean island or, or mm -hmm. Mexico or, or um, someplace not too far. I, I think people will be weary about um, venturing far afield um, because they don't want to get stuck. They don't want to have an outbreak, uh, close borders and, and leave them trapped. 
Uh, and so it, it's going to be a very tough winter. Um, you know, the question is uh, what happens next year? And I think that depends a lot on vaccine and, and treatment. And uh, it, that's what it will take to get people confident that they can uh, travel again. And that, that business demand is all important, is it, isn't it? Because it's, it's not just, you know, the volume. It's the fact that generally they're paying maybe 60, 70 percent more than a, a leisure passenger the road warrior is out there every week traveling around the US and in Europe and other places. And and airlines just can't and companies just don't want to put their employees at risk at the moment, do they? It's a real it's a real conundrum for everyone. Yeah, it is. And, and you're right. The business, business travel is about the dollars. It's not necessarily about the volume. I think, you know, rough, rough figures, business travel is about a third of an, uh, the big airlines uh, business, but two, as much as two thirds of its revenue. Um, and so you, you take that out. And, you know, for companies, um, uh, look, there are duty of care questions about sending somebody out on the road now. What happens if, if they do uh, contract the virus? Um, is there liability risk for the company? The company doesn't want to do that. Uh, where are you going to go if offices are closed down and no, you know, there are no conventions or no trade shows and no, nobody wants to see you if, you if you do go to visit a client? They're all doing Zoom calls at their home or um, whatever the technology would be. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's very little business travel now, but I think that's going to be the case. And this is the real challenge for the industry going forward of when does that come back? And does it ever come back to 2019 levels? So it's going to be be a, uh, a slow return, um, most likely, and and may never get, uh, you know, maybe a long time before it gets back to 2019 and levels, I, just in terms of business travel. And I suspect, you know, in it, that's a major driver to the European airlines' um, decisions to essentially um, stop the A380 and 747 operations because. They had huge business class cabins, didn't they, relative to the, the yeah. size of the aircraft and the configuration. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, whether it's deliberately designed or luck, the US carriers with their relatively smaller long haul business class cabins, but high quality product are in the right place for the new normal. Yeah, I, I think that that could well be uh, correct. Um, I, I think the, uh, you know, the twin engine planes, the 787, the 777, the 8350, those are going to be the workhorses uh, of, of long haul international travel. And, and it does give them, um, you know, the flexibility to uh, have, have a business class cabin, a premium economy cabin more tailored to a, a smaller market uh, or smaller demand. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, It'll come back. One of the interesting things about those cabins is whether uh, there actually may be more demand from leisure travelers for that as people look at uh, space on an airplane. And I don't want to sit and coach anymore shoulder to shoulder with somebody who, uh, even if they have a mask on, they might be sick. Uh, if I get a, a business class pod, uh, I'm I'm isolated, and that's a good thing. Yeah, and, and that, I mean, that's that sort of brings us on to this um whole discussion that, that sort of developed probably May and June as well, which is about the middle seat, um, inspired, of course, by Delta, um, either a great marketing ploy 
um, or you know something that's reassured people. How has that yeah. played out? Because I see Delta are committing today to extend that out to January, the the middle seat being free. Is is that is that really is it is a, a sensitive issue in in the North American market? Um, it is. It is, and. You know, extending that to January—that—that's—that's that's exactly the point you made earlier about uh, the limited demand of the winter. Yeah, you don't need to worry about January. There will be no one. Don't yeah. worry about filling yeah. those seats. Yeah. Um, It's—you know—it's—it's a—it's a sensitive um, issue in that uh, some airlines are doing it and some aren't, and, and so people are. Uh, really confused or concerned that uh, some airlines are being safer than others, um, and that's that's never a good thing for the industry. Uh, there, you know, questions of um, should government uh, step in and and require that since some airlines are are sort of not being compliant with the idea of uh, blocking the middle seat. Um, it, it is a it is a really tough thing. Uh, you know, I. To, to me, Delta is marketing to people who aren't traveling. Um, Delta is saying uh, we, we are doing everything we can to protect you. Come back when you're comfortable, but we're the guys who protect you. And, uh, and American and United are saying, uh, look, we're not going to turn away business. Um, and uh, some of their flights are going to have middle seats filled. Um, they're trying to tell customers ahead of time so they can change to other flights, but that's that's a tricky business, and you know schedules are so reduced that there may not be convenient other flights. Um, yeah. So it's it's a it, it's a hard thing, and it does make people more reluctant to travel now, and and that may carry over into the future. And that confusion um, observation you made is you know is really at the heart of where we are, isn't there? We you know for um, an industry that is quite sophisticated and with the help of um, our government agencies and industry agencies, we've managed to create a very confusing set of messages. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Even the, the notion of wearing masks. Um, and, you know, most airlines have said you had to wear masks. Uh, not, not all, um, but uh, most have, and it, it becomes difficult for the flight attendant to actually enforce that um, without some kind of government mandate. And we don't have government mandate in the U.S. That's added to the confusion of people saying, you can't force me to do it. Um, and uh, it, it just gets gets really tricky. The, the, the whole middle seat argument, I, you know, airlines have tried to say, Hey, look! We have these great ventilation systems on airplanes, and the the air is filtered by HEPA filters used in hospital operating rooms. And there there actually is very little evidence of uh, onboard transmission, and a lot of reasons why the airplane cabin is really uh, potentially pretty safe. On the other hand, uh, you are sitting crammed next to somebody else, and and that's the the fear. If the person next to you happens to have the virus, no amount of ventilation is is going to help, uh, and uh, and that that's the risk. And so I think the the industry, because it has crammed so many seats in, has has created this perception among the traveling public uh, that. Uh, an airplane cabin is a sardine can, and that's no place to be if there's a virus going around. 
um, no matter how safe it actually might be scientifically, I think emotionally it's just seen as not safe. Yeah, and I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, we we've gone through this whole event, and we're always learning, um, and yet I, I remember right at the beginning someone saying to me, you know, in adversity is opportunity, um, and. <laughs> Looking on the more positive side of what's happened and looking at the rebuild out, um, where is the opportunity in in the U.S. market? Do you think do you, you know is is it about someone um, making a brave and bold consolidation play? Is it about someone starting a new airline? Because you know there were plans for um, some people who had previously launched airlines in the U.S. to to put a new carrier out there this year. Um, sure. What what do you, what do you think is is going to happen on the consolidation front to begin with? Is is there going to be consolidation or or is it a pretty static situation? I think it I think it's very difficult for one of the big three to um, do anything in terms of consolidation, uh, it, it, especially if uh, there's a change in administration um, in Washington. Uh, even for American, for example, to uh, to, it's got it's got now deeper partnerships with Alaska and and with JetBlue, yeah. and I think that's an acknowledgement that it can't you can't buy either one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't wouldn't fly as a consolidation uh, uh, fly because of consolidation concerns. Yeah. I do think there may be room for consolidation among some of the smaller players, um, and uh, and so you might might see that happen, especially as this this drags on, um, would it make sense for uh, a couple of ultra low cost carriers to, uh, right. to team up um, and, uh, and have, have more heft uh, and, and more market share that, uh, that would, would help them. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, as you say, there is going to be this great restart, if, if you will. And um, th- there may be, uh, you know, loyalties may have, uh, withered um, as you know, people aren't as as beholden to their frequent flyer programs or their credit card aviation credit cards, yeah, uh, or whatever it might be, and, and so you could have uh, shifting loyalty. Uh, you could have, uh, I think, there be room for a, a startup airline. Um, do, do you want to start an airline in a pandemic? No, um, but but coming out of a pandemic, um, when there is a whole lot of pent up demand, that might be the perfect time to start an airline because, you know, look, you're going to be able to get uh, gates and uh, term, you know, space in in an airport terminal and um, all of that uh, because there's been so much shrinking. There, there's going to be availability. And it, you know, it's fascinating um, if we go back to nine one nine eleven. You know, Ryanair and Michael O'Leary had a fax. Um, on Boeing's uh, in Boeing's office, almost immediately saying, "I want to buy a load of seven three sevens, please," because he knew the price yeah. was going to tank. And in the last yeah. last three months, we've seen um, Wizz Air in Europe on the most ambitious expansion plan that everyone looks at and says, "Really, you know, what is the basis of that?" And and that rapid first mover advance advantage can sometimes be. You know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, a brilliant strategic move. No, I, I think that's right. And it, you know, the the aircraft value value and the aircraft availability 
those are huge factors. And so if you if you're a whiz ear, if you're a startup, if you're whatever, uh, and and you run the numbers, and all of a sudden um, it costs you you know, 30, 40% less to lease an A320 or a 737. Yeah. All of a sudden, if there, there are used aircraft available that other carriers have shed that are really pretty decent aircraft still, 15 years of life on them or, or whatever, um, that that's an opportunity. If, you, if you're going to, you know, if you want to go to new aircraft, my gosh, um, you know, Boeing and Airbus both have uh, <laughs> a whole lot of, Manufacturing capacity, and uh, but a whole lot of aircraft sitting on the ground that have already been built um, that uh, that may need uh, homes, and and so uh, I think there is a whole lot of opportunity to uh, to do something with a big splash. So does that make I mean you know notwithstanding where we are and and for all of our sakes this this has got to finish sooner rather than later. Um, are you broadly optimistic about the aviation industry? You know is We've survived 911. We've bounced back. Uh, pandemics, global financial crises, much you know, many of those um, recoveries were built on the foundation of business traffic, and and that clearly doesn't look like it's going to come back as quickly. But where's 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 your optimism meter at the moment? Is it is it optimistic or is it still a bit concerned? Oh, I think very much still a bit concerned. Um, I, I think what what we don't, you know, what we don't know is how long can airlines last in in this environment. Um, we know it's not forever. Um, I think it, you know, as as you alluded to before, I think everybody was planning. Uh, okay, let's let's have enough cash on hand to write, to make it a year, um, but what if you know the, the, there are so many unknowns. Um, uh, what if a vaccine is not effective, or, or what if uh, uh, not not widely uh, used? Uh, what if uh, you know the treatment doesn't um, an effective treatment doesn't materialize? And so there there's just a lot of um, changes in in travel um, that's going to result in a much smaller industry going forward. Now the the hope is that you know we'll we'll bounce back and people will have confidence in travel. Uh, sometime next year, certainly by the end, you know, the end of next year. But I think people are hoping, uh, you know, next summer could be a great travel season uh, for for airlines. Um, everybody's going to want to go, uh, but um, that would be wonderful. Um, but I still think there are so many unknowns that, um, uh, you know, if that doesn't materialize, uh, there's there's going to be a lot of concern for the viability of a whole lot of airlines um, that don't have the money to survive uh, without without business uh, going into next summer. And I, I I guess Scott, for for you and indeed for for me and for OAG and the data, the the good bit of that is you know if if it's if it's a successful recovery, there's absolutely lots to write about and it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And if it's not is going to be successful as perhaps we want it to be, there will still be lots of stories to write and plays that will occur. So uh, the only benefactors perhaps in this are uh, us who, who continue to write about it. What would, uh, um, you know, what would be in closing your your takeaway from um, what you've seen? What is What is your abiding memory of the last seven months and the aviation industry? You know, was it an iconic picture? Was it 
a statement from one of the airline CEOs or just just something you you, you saw and, you, and has resonated with you ever since? Um, you know, there were, I, I would say a picture. Uh, there, there was there's a picture of I believe it's in in Pittsburgh where a an, a runway was taken and turned into a parking lot yeah. for American Airlines jets. And they are, they are so tip to tip, nose to tail, uh, just, just uh, sort of mind boggling the number of airplanes parked on that uh, uh, straight piece of, of asphalt. Um, uh, the, I mean, that just sums up everything. Um, uh, the, the, the notion that, um, so much was grounded so quickly uh, is is what this pandemic has been all about. And you could replicate that probably in a hundred airports around the world, couldn't you? It's just it's staggering. Yeah. staggering. Yeah. yeah. Scott, um, it's been fascinating. We could chat for hours, and um, maybe we could do it over a beer at some point rather than over a Zoom yeah. call. Um, but. Uh, I really appreciate appreciate your time. It's fascinating, and um, thank you very much for sharing your experiences with you and uh, with us. And I wish you well for the future. Oh, thank you, John, and and uh, really enjoyed it. Really great to talk to you.